Hey friends, welcome to another episode of RT Engineering Radio. I'm playing the role of host today. I'm Steve, Steve Hicks, and I'm here with a couple of people. I'm here with my friend, John. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is John. I am an engineer on the Grow team here at Artsy, and um, I do have a mug of coffee here that I'll be slurping on, and I hope it gets edited out, but no promises. How about you, Sultan? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Sultan. I'm an engineer at Artsy. I recently joined about uh, less than a month ago. I'm working currently on the CX team, the collector experience. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining me here. We're doing what we call uh, an RFC request for comment. This is one of these episodes where we don't really know what we're going to talk about. And quite honestly, we didn't know what we were going to talk about until about five to 10 minutes ago when the three of us got on this call and just started uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do. And I guess where we'll start is something that I have been thinking about this week. Um, Early in the week, I was working on, uh, I was helping out Anna, who's an engineer at Artsy, Anna Carey. She's been on this podcast many times. She was showing me some tests where we just couldn't figure out how to get them to work. And as we were looking at them, like the bigger problem wasn't necessarily that we couldn't get these tests to work. It was that we were writing the tests in this style where like we both knew it was not how we wanted to write a React test. These were tests that were exercising some React component uh, in a form where you would select a radio button and you expected some other things on the form to do something. And we wanted to write them as like, well, let's test it in the React testing library style of testing where it's like, let's look at the form and see it as a user would see it, find the elements as a user would find it and then click on it and make sure that all these other things happen. And we just couldn't get the click handler to do the thing that it was supposed to do. So this is like an integration style where you're you're not like sending state in and then asserting about how it's being displayed. You are trying to interact with the component and then assert about how it's behaving. Yeah, exactly. That's what we wanted to do. But we were having right. such trouble doing that, that we did fall into that alternative that you suggested, which was like, we were actually just reaching into grabbing onto the component that got rendered and calling the click handler itself basically, which is, you know, it's nice because you do get at least a little bit of coverage. It's cooking the books. Yeah, it's, it is cooking the books a little bit. You're definitely skipping a whole lot of things that are usually happening on the, in the browser. So we were doing that. And eventually I think um, she got those tests to pass, but I couldn't sleep. (laughs) I'll just say, I'll say it that way. I couldn't sleep with the fact that we couldn't test this click the way that we wanted to test it. Like why wasn't our handler getting called when we were testing it the way that we wanted to? And so I dug into it that evening and there were definitely some tools that I used along the way to try to figure this out. And we can talk more about that stuff later, but the more interesting question to me is one of the tools, one of the things that kept me going on this was just this feeling of conviction that I knew that this thing should work and we should be able to test in this way. Uh, I can also later share why it turns out we couldn't test them in that way. I'll I'll give the answer. But thinking about conviction and that duality of it can be something that's really, really helpful because it'll push you to dig deeper and figure out what's going on. But it can also really be a trap where you just get stuck on this thing over and over and you, you, you just don't ask for help. You don't give up and you just spend way too much time on it. So I was just 
in my head, I've been thinking all week about like, how do you know the difference? How do you know when this is something that you should stick with, or this is something that you should give up on and ask for help or move on to something else? So I'm just going to stop there and see what you guys have to say about that. Isn't there like that 15 minute rule of like, spend at least 15 minutes on the problem, but spend no more than 15 minutes before you're like asking yeah. for help or doing something else. That's, that's something I think about sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a um, engineering team full of smart people. We have a dev hyphen help channel in Slack. That's a great way to get help from people and kind of like a hive mind situation async. So you're not interrupting anybody, you know, and then another thing occurs to me, like not everyone is in a position to spend time outside of work on work problems. Yeah, so definitely. it's like, that's running around in my head too. But this is some, some, some aspect of this is like personal uh, interest and like what nags you <laughs> as you live your life. I try to in my work setting, adhere to like that 15 minute rule kind of a thing and maybe move forward with a pull request, even if I'm not happy with all of the things, maybe like come back to it, try to ship something. And even if it's not perfect, kind of iterate from there. Can I dig into that 15 minute thing a little bit? I know what you're talking about and it's something that I have also tried to follow. But again, the struggle I have there is like, sometimes you're working on it and you do get a little bit further in 15 minutes, but is it really that far? Is it far enough? And then that's also still that slippery slope of like, well, I made some progress. And I think it's tough to know when you're making real progress versus just kind of making like, you know, artificial progress that looks like things are, you're figuring things out, but really you're still just chasing your tail. Any thoughts about that? I have one thought. You had a pair. So someone else was sure. with you in real time trying to hold the, the two of you accountable for like moving the ball forward and, and getting to some place where ultimately you're working on something for the for a user and trying to like deliver some value here. Just kind of like some of the built-in social pressure of like two people working yeah. on a thing can kind of rein in the excesses that might come natural to us about spending too much time on a problem. Yeah, you definitely can feel like when someone is bored with the work that you're doing, I feel like, <laughs> and you can just kind of be like, okay, well, maybe we should shift gears a little bit and do something different because this isn't, this isn't really fun for either of us. Uh, Sultan, do you have any thoughts about any guidance at all that you use to, to know when um, you've gone too deep or when you are going too deep or when to kind of reel it back? Most of the time that I've faced this uh I usually have something urgent to finish and try uh, as much as I can to first uh, finish the task that I'm currently working on. So I sort of follow, make it work, then make it better. So I first try to make it work. And if it works, then I'll try to make it better. If I spend more than 30 minutes on it and stuck at, at one place, I just skip it and do it with a fresh mind, maybe next thing in the morning. So uh, come out, come at it with a different point of view. But Sometimes I just can't sleep. Like uh, I would be dreaming about it actually. And yeah. And sometimes it actually helps that sometimes I, in my dream, I code and figure out uh, or just have this insight of how to fix it or how to approach it from different perspectives. So it helps sometimes to have dreams about it. Have you guys ever heard of the phrase hammock driven development? That like sometimes you just need to go no. sit in a hammock mm -hmm. and look at the sky and then the answers will present themselves to you. <laughs> Makes sense. I, have either of you tried to ever work in a hammock <laughs> with not. your laptop? It sounds terrible. It, it's, 
It's a bad time. <laughs> it sounds really, really nice, but it's really, mm. really hard on your neck. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good call out. The make it work, then make it right or make it better. And I think that that's the approach we were definitely taking in this case was we were accepting the fact that we were going to have to write these tests in a way that we didn't want to write them. Uh, and honestly, we were going to ship it that way and we would have been fine. But yeah, it was it was honestly like what made me come back to it was stepping away from it where I was just like, there was just part of it. I just I needed to know the answer. But there was also a part of it where I was kind of just like processing that asynchronously or whatever in my head. And thinking about that. And that's that I think is a really good call out to the the time away that you need to take in order to let your brain just kind of process a problem in a different way and sleep, especially, or as you're starting to fall asleep or as you're waking up, that's one of my favorite times, like at all, where your brain starts to get really, really funny and, and strange. And it, it just like thinks about things in a weird way and you can feel it. So we're outside of work hours. We're still bothered by this this problem. We can't quite figure out why it's behaving a certain way. Um, are there techniques and tools? Steve, you can talk about what you maybe did. One thought I had is like, sometimes I just want to like verify that I'm not crazy. And so I might start over and like clean slate. I'm going to start a new project or like a new jest file or whatever and try to get myself back into that situation. But with like a bunch of the application specific quirks out of the way so I can just like, okay, yes, <laughs> in a new project without any kind of weirdness, this works the way I expect. And then like, can I start adding in some of those quirks or whatever to try to see like, which quirk is it or which thing is it that is causing it to not behave the way I expect? Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually do that sometimes when I try to piss, uh, when I'm pissing something, it's not working in the current project that I'm working on. I just take some time to create a new project work on it and try to reproduce what I'm trying to, to achieve in that, like I'd say it's a sandbox environment. So if it works, then I try to uh, add a few things uh, here and there, try to replicate the environment in my current project to in that sandbox and see if it, if it goes anywhere, if it, if it breaks and try to solve it. There's this talk that I love to give about mm, right. getting unstuck. And this all falls into like one of my main points, which is you need to isolate the problem in one way or another. And building in that sandbox helps you figure out, is this actually the problem? Do I understand what the problem is? Or is it something completely unrelated? And I think with the example that we were talking about, another way that I was isolating things in this case was just like console logging in places. A console log debugger, not a <laughs> debugger debugger, <laughs> which... Despite all those fancy tools, console log sure is easy. <laughs> it sure is. But that's another way that you can basically just like, okay, I think that this is what is happening in this function. Let me make sure that this is actually what's coming in and what's coming out and figure out whether it's this problem or it's somewhere else. Any other ways that you guys think about isolating problems when you run into them? Another thought is like, well, surely we're doing this somewhere else in the project. Let me go see if I can find some prior art, yeah. even like in this project and like compare my situation to that situation and try to get some sanity around like what is going on? Like what's the difference here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I also I also feel like related to this isolation thing was I felt the need to just check my assumptions on everything. And, you know, I might think that this particular function was being called and it wasn't. 
So having to actually go confirm whether, you know, like actually look at what the code is doing, not what I think the code is doing was something that actually drove me to go and change things in the node modules folder, which is, I don't, it took me a while to figure out that I could actually go do that. Um, and, and that is, that is a thing that you can reach for when, when you think that your dependency that you're using is, well, you don't know what it's doing. And that did actually turn out to be the case for this one. The problem was in the dependency, it was an older version mm. of our design system where we were debouncing the click handler on uh, this radio button. Sorry, Steve. I don't, I don't know what you mean by debounce. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making me explain that because I always always forget to. Um, debouncing is this uh, strategy you can use on a function to make sure it's not called repeatedly. So the thing that I remember doing this for uh, is anytime you've got like a submit button that's going to go like charge somebody money or something like that or confirm a reservation somewhere, you don't want them clicking seven times on that button and then you ending up having seven different reservations or whatever. So you can debounce it, which is basically like you put a little bit of a, a time limit on it where whenever they click, they have to let this amount of time expire before it will actually accept a second uh, event. So in this case, the radio button was uh, it just had a debounce wrapped around the on-click handler, which is, it worked in the UI. Like, it was great. Uh, it just so happened in the scope of React testing, anything asynchronous is a massive pain and never <laughs> works exactly as you think it is. And actually, that's, a, that's another thing to talk about is, like, the experience level I had with this was every test I've ever struggled with in React is because of yeah. something with timing. So as soon as I saw the debounce thing there, I was kind of like, uh, that's a little bit of a red flag. Maybe there's something going on with timing. And I dug into that a little bit. Do, do you guys have any good, like, do you feel like you have that kind of stuff under control when you're testing anything with timing in React? Not at all. Like you, every time I have struggled with a test in React, it's been around asynchronous behaviors. And like, at a certain point, I'm just like loading this shotgun with various strategies and I'm just firing at my tests. Like, I don't know, you want me to wrap in an act? Okay, I'll, I'll wrap in an act. Should I do wrapper dot, um, what is it, update? Like, I just throw all these tools at it until yeah. it works. And I'm like, I don't know how programming ever works. <laughs> I'm sure there's someone who feels like they have that part of their life under control, but I have yet to meet that person. Yeah. So uh, anything else that you guys have thoughts about in regards to this conversation of... Um... One more thought, um, Hicks. So you are in the context of a, Re of a React app inside of a Rails app. Is that correct? Yes, we are. Okay. So you're writing just tests. Like from the outside, just tests are nice because they're fast, right? They're just at the JavaScript level. There's no intermediates here. And that's cool. I wonder if you considered going up a level into like the full blown browser driven test that should more simulate an actual user's experience that could have been a way to move forward to. Yeah, definitely. We did talk about this as we were pairing and looking at this. And I think, I mean, my take on it, and I can't speak for Anna, but I kind of felt in the moment, like that just felt like a heavy lift because I didn't think that there was, I didn't know where those kind of tests already were. So it felt like I had to go create them and yeah. It's a, that's, a, that's a good idea, though. And I think that that's something that you come from the world of Rails, and Rails is so good at that kind of testing. And uh, JavaScript traditionally hasn't been. I think like Cypress now is a tool that a lot of people are using for that. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, getting there. I mean, there's more 
precedent here. There's more encouragement in this direction yeah. with tools like Cyprus. You know? Yeah, definitely. Sultan, do you have experience with Cyprus or end-to-end testing or anything like that? Mm, no, not really. Uh, like um, All the, the tests that I was doing was just unit testing and sometimes just integration testing. So yeah. cool. Uh, I'd love to have that experience. I mean, those aren't always of silver bullet, but I'm just curious if that would have, I mean, maybe you still would have hit this timing problem, but it's another way to kind of like get, like break out of what you're in to try to figure out, okay, what am I really trying to do here? How can I deliver value, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my experience so far, like it probably wouldn't have been a timing problem here that I would have run into with that kind of test. It would have been a different kind of timing problem. Like something sure. takes too long to load or, or whatever. And those tests are slow. And if you add more and more mm-hmm. of them, you end up with CI times that drive you nuts. So it's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah, for sure. You know, if you're talking about an interaction that that deals with money, that deals with high risk things. Maybe you reach for a tool like that. Maybe you kind of save it for those those code paths that you're really concerned about or whatever. Cool. I would like to hear more from Sultan. So I'm just going to straight up shift the conversation now. And uh, Sultana, <laughs> I'm just wondering how things are going. Uh, you're relatively new to Artsy. Are you still rotating? Yeah. Uh, the first rotation, actually, and the culture experience. Nice. Yeah. And that's kind of in your wheelhouse, right? Like our collector experience team does a lot of mobile, a lot of mobile work. There's a story behind why I like mobile work actually and how I got there. When I was in university, I was working actually on, on Android. I loved it and I really enjoyed it. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thing is, back then, I didn't have a really good laptop, and <laughs> Java was really killing my laptop. So every yeah. time I try to work, it just uh, tries to fly. <laughs> So I just paused that a little bit and I went to web development. So at web development, I found out about uh, React.js and it was cool. It was it was something new. That was, I think it was in 2017. That I've never seen something like it at all. Mm-hmm. I just kept working on it and I stumbled upon a video on YouTube. I don't remember who posted it, but he was talking about, he, he's a, an iOS developer who uh, found out about React Native and he's just wanted to test it out. And he just, him and his friend posted a two hour long video. I saw it at least three or four times. I just kept on rewatching. I was hooked. I just, I loved that I could work on mobile with the same technology that I use on React. That was something insane for me. I instantly fell in love with it. And I ever since, I just love working on it. I've been through React Native from the early stages to where it is now. And I can see the progress and how people can actually depend on React Native. And for me, React Native is a love story. It's not a, a program, shared, like a, a library, a framework of choice. I feel the same uh, about React in general. I don't have a whole lot of experience with React Native, but when I did start to play with react it was very much instantly i was like this is the thing that i can be productive with and it fits with the way that i think about things john is that the case for you they just hit on some abstractions that are just really good um i think i heard a former artsy employee alan say this once that like react is a really good v in terms of mvc uh framework and i and i think he's totally right like i still have some 
question marks in my mind around other parts of the systems we build and React's impact on it. But when it comes to like actual view code, it's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. My my complaints are more like on the networking side. I don't like relay at all. <laughs> um, there's there's like that whole side of it. But but like when I'm actually like authoring React component code, I love that part. Relay is the GraphQL client that we use, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sultan, what is the? Is there been anything surprising that you've experienced since you've been here, or has everything just been like reaffirming, feeling good, or anything kind of taking you by surprise? Actually, the uh, openness and every engineer can actually work on anything that he can. That's that's something really new to me. In my previous experience, everyone was only uh, allowed access to what they're going to be working on. For me, it was just only on mobile, but I couldn't touch uh, the back end or the front end. But in Artsy, um, I really love that from day one, you get access to all the repos and you can browse through them and try to understand the whole idea of or the whole uh, workflow of all the other projects that are integrated into making Artsy.net and the, the mobile app. That's an experience that's a really great experience for me. That's something that caught me by surprise, actually. I never dreamt that it, there would be something like this because for me, I don't, yeah, I don't just like to be stuck with one single place. I like to just drift off to a new, uh, I'd say, a new road and try to experience how how it is over there. And uh, I believe Artsy would would allow me to to do that. Mm-hmm. I'll speak with experience. You can, because <laughs> I've been, I've changed teams a lot. And like, if you are working on a feature and you're like, well, the API doesn't quite, you know, the server side of this, the database level doesn't quite support what I'm trying to do. It would be totally within your purview. Like, you know, you would be encouraged to, hey, I want to pair with someone on the Rails server that drives this thing and like, help me do a pull request that like alters its behavior from, you know, A to B or whatever it is. Like people would be super interested in helping you do that. And and vice versa. Like when I get into a situation where I need to make a change on the app, I'm like, okay, I, I need help. Like please someone from that world, you know, sit with me or review a pull request or whatever. And that like freedom of like what we want engineers to think about is like solving problems, um, thinking about like the cheapest way or the quickest way or whatever else and not get too bogged down. I'm like, well, I can't do that. That's not my team's job. Um, so that's that's very liberating. Uh, Sultan, your previous experience to Artsy, were you working on very large teams where things were locked down or were they smaller teams? And I, I haven't experienced smaller teams where you were kind of locked in that way. Uh, no, usually it's just smaller team. Like each project have one person for each role. So there's usually one one guy for front end, one guy for mobile. Yeah, that's usually me. And one guy for backend. So each one has his own roles and responsibilities. So we rarely try to have different responsibilities or I'd say share responsibilities. Like for me, uh, I'm on mobile. I, I can help the guy who's working on the front end, but I'm not really responsible for it. For me, I don't see that's a good thing because I believe whatever that you're working on, it's not uh, individual units of systems. It's just a one coherent environment that should all work together to create something that's that's actually solves something, not just to view and all that other stuff. I have a thought here. I think it's natural when you have 
these very talented people that have maybe specialized in a certain part of, of the programming ecosystem, it's very natural to be like, okay, you're going to work on this. You're going to work on this. You're gonna work on this. That's like from a, from like a managing the workflow point of view, I can see how we get there, but like realizing that, that like speed today does not mean speed tomorrow. And some of those things are like, it's worth investing in people learning different parts of the stack and following their interests and following what's, you know, their, their curiosity. That's an investment that will pay off when, you know, in two quarters, someone leaves or whatever, like there's just like this, it, it's so much more rich of an experience to be in that kind of um, situation. But like, I'm, I can empathize with like, okay, I see how you got there, but I actually know we're better off kind of like being a little more loose in how we assign things. Yeah. I like the idea of a person on the team being able to just own a problem and, and whether that means they're writing code against the database or they're writing code in React Native or wherever, it's less about the kind of the part of the stack that they may be used to focusing on and more about we've got this feature that we want to ship and you're the one that's doing it. So <laughs> figure out how to do it and pull in people if you need them. You know, there's, that's the thing that I think is really great. And, and at Artsy, if I've got, if I have to write some rails code, which is not my strength, I've got, I, I know who I'm going to talk to. Like I'm going to ask John, I'm going to ask Jackie, like these people are going to be able to help me out with this stuff. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this was another episode of Arts Engineering Radio and we had a great time and we hope you did too. Talk to you next time. See you, Ben. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Artsy Open Source. Keep up with our blog at artsy.github.io. This episode was produced by Asia Simpson. And thank you, Eve Essex, for our theme music. You can find her on all major streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Artsy Engineering Radio.